Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy 2024! New year, new you, right? Let me guess. You're thinking about joining a new gym, starting a fad diet, buying that... Theragun everyone's always yammering on about, <laughs> I've got a better idea. Listen to my podcast. I'm Samantha B, writer, comedian, and host of Choice Words from Lemonada Media. This whole month of January, we're going to help you make better choices in 2024. We'll go beyond superficial hacks and get at the truth of how to lead a more meaningful life. Just search for Choice Words on your podcast player of choice and hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Now that is a good choice. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week, I'm feeling very nostalgic about the early aughts, a.k.a. Oh. early 2000s. My name is Mohamed El Sheikhi, and this week uh, I continue to be alive, which I think is pretty great. And I'm Oha Lopez, and this week uh, spring is out to end my life. I'm popping allergy pills to go get coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm I'm declining. I mean, what's worse, the 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 spring or the Dunkin' Donuts? What's happening here? I don't know. It's up to you. I haven't been to one in so long. Oh no! Because last time I did. Last time I did, they gave me a drink so sweet that I literally could not consume sugar for like months. They just oh, like yeah. ruined my whole system. I just say no sugar. But even when I say no sugar, I feel like it still tastes like sugar. I don't know. Something about Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I feel like if I say no sugar, they'll just give me an empty cup and they're like, here you go. <laughs> Welcome to I'm Sorry. You know, each week we unpack the latest and greatest in pop culture, celebrity drama, uh, public apologies, and we talk about whether we should forgive, forget, or just cancel people. We really want to debate whether we have to let stuff go and when people should just say I'm sorry. So this week we are talking about it all. We're talking about Bill Murray, Johnny Depp. What else are we talking about? Oh, Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, Abercrombie. Abercrombie? Is it, Abercrombie. Is it Aber? This is the Venezuela coming out in you. <laughs> I know. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say it out loud again. Not even in the song? I like girls who wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Mm, never that heard song. of it. Okay, oh yeah, my God, terrible... that song. Yes. I think it's LFO. <laughs> LFO. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I don't think they ever made another song. 
before we dive in, I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast that Lemonada has. Uh, The network behind I'm Sorry is excited to share its newest project with you. I cannot wait. So Being is a reality TV for your ears. It's an innovative, different audio format like no other podcast you've ever heard. And this season, the Being series is Being Trans. So you're going to meet Chloe, Jeffrey, Mariana, and Cy. And over the course of six episodes, you'll get to kind of be a fly on the wall for their most intimate conversations and unscripted raw moments. So I'm so excited to just kind of be a ride along and uh, watch them navigate, you know, family relationships, love lives, friendships, healthcare, professional careers, and everything else that comes with living life as a transgender person in Los Angeles. And with this podcast, I feel like we're going to gain unique insights and an empathetic understanding of their personal experiences. Being Trans is out now wherever you get your podcasts. I cannot wait. I want to start with Bill Murray because I feel like I've been hearing stories for years of this guy, like essentially like haunting hipsters. Like that's the way that I like (laughs) who are they just like appeared and made appearances at like in Austin bars and like bartended. So he's always had this kind of like strange lore to me behind him. Like, did you guys hear about those things? Oh, yeah. In Brooklyn, I think his son might have a bar in Brooklyn, but I know like Mm. he just showed up for the opening and was behind the bar making drinks. And I was like, I would always try to get these Bill Murray sightings when I was in New York. Right. It felt like a little bit of a like a neighborhood stories where all of a sudden you'd get like a flurry of texts from friends and they're like, Bill Murray is it, you know, big star bar downtown. You got and then like people would <laughs> flock to it. And then you might catch a five minute glimpse of, you know, a smiley old dude behind the bar. Yeah. Um, but it was I mean, like there was something about him that has been like in pop culture in a really positive way for so, so many years, even though these stories have been swirling the entire time. Um, I just sort of I do this thing where I just transcend bad stories like until I remember them and they become a part of like our consciousness. I sort of just forget them kind of. I, I, what What is that? I think when someone is so beloved, you just have a hard time really, even when the negative stories come out, you're just quick to be like, well, that's, that's the media. They they always want to trash someone, right? And you make excuses because, you know, we just, we love these people. They have, they're in our homes. They're like part of our nostalgia. So you just try not to think that they can be this terrible Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very hard to yeah like uh, engage with these stories when it's someone that you love. It's not like if it's like someone like Mark Wahlberg, you're like absolutely, I'll believe anything. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me, you literally could make up stories, and I'll be like, yes, that is the truth. I feel like Mohammed has a burn book like on Mean Girls, and it's like uh, Jared Leto is in it, and like Mark Wahlberg. You just have this distinct group of essentially white men that are actors that you particularly dislike, and I want to see them all together in a yeah, little. Yeah, white men who freak me the fuck out. Yeah, I mean, they, there should be an Ocean Thirteen of just the white men that I hate, just a movie right. of them together. Yeah, they fail. I will say when I moved to the United States. I was so much more of like white older men in those weird like glasses, you know, and like the old school 90s glasses, because all I'd ever seen was like serial killers that looked like that. <laughs> um, so I, I moved here and I was like, I have no perception of this, like, who is scary and who is not scary, because my impression of like white culture was that and of like black culture was like 
um, like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg in, like, Sister Act. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God, there's choirs. And, like, people, you know, like, it was just, a <laughs> like, a totally strange impression. But that's why Bill Murray... I, I love him, but I, he definitely has this part of him that I don't trust, which is that he is of a generation, you know? Yeah. But these rumors that are coming out is essentially – so um, he is on a movie currently with Aziz Ansari, and essentially he gets – you know, somebody sort of flags and starts an investigation, um, kind of calling it, quote, inappropriate behavior after the film – um, so the the film is called Being Mortal, and it's a film that's, you know, written and directed by Aziz Ansari. And I think he's also in the movie. But Aziz also kind of comes with his own sort of baggage. So I'm really curious in terms of of that dynamic. Like, I wonder if Aziz is just like, oh, God, another thing that's like not working for me. I think it's it's funny that the media is using Aziz Ansari picture with every article about this. And yeah. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing with that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's. I think it's so funny that the movie that got canceled is called Being Mortal. And I'm just like, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely Pretty much. Not, yeah. yeah. I mean, I imagine, look, I knew the minute that this article came, came out, like, obviously, anything that's happening on a set that Aziz is working on, he's going to be uber sensitive to because of you know the things that happened to him so it's kind of like yeah i'd shut shit down too if you know i mean the article that came out was saying that allegedly he was getting bill murray was getting handsy which i thought that was just such an interesting term that page six used handsy with women on the set which is just like Oh, it feels very... Yeah, but it's not just that. He's like, he took being handsy to a whole other level. He's like, he was like beating the shit out of people, just like fighting yeah. with people. And I'm just like, what's going on here, buddy? Like throwing shit at like uh, directors in movies he's been in and like trying to fight them and, and all of that shit. And it's insane. Like, and I like, I don't even know what's the process. Like if the uh, star of the movie you're directing or like you're a producer on tries to beat the shit out of you yeah i mean because that's what came out like you know when this you know apparently richard dreyfus's son ben dreyfus came out and he did a bunch of tweets when this story came out about this film being shut down where he talked about his dad richard dreyfus's experience on i think it was on what about bob instead of what what about bob um Mm -hmm. where all everyone left they flew back to la because this they were filming in virginia they flew back to la And they wouldn't come back until they had security. So they had, for the rest of the film, they had security guards between Richard and Bill to finish. And that was, I guess, it was a rumor going around Hollywood, I guess, in the 80s or whatever, 80s and 90s. And basically, you know, Ben, his son, said, yeah, that's what happened. Dude, dude, dude's unhinged. Yeah. He said that... um uh, essentially, like, Bill Murray wanted an extra day off, and Laura, who was, I guess, that producer, said no, and so that he ripped the glasses off of her face, and then when uh, Dreyfus complained about the behavior, then Bill Murray threw an ashtray at him. So it's like, fuck, Bill. But this is the thing, is, like, it, it feels so reminiscent of, like, what is the difference between like an like just somebody who's an asshole and who is an abusive person? And that line is like 
the physical stuff is just so um, it's so messed up because I feel like that is one of the things that makes me push from somebody who's just an asshole to somebody who's abusive. Um, Searchlight put out a letter and they essentially just said, hey, like we're, you know, we're suspending the production. We just feel like we need to investigate before we move forward. I wonder if any of that is going to be public or or if it's just going to kind of get swept under the rug, sort of. Generally speaking, I feel like they want to keep these things tight. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason it's been swept under is because Bill Murray sells movies. He is super profitable. So, you know, they have a vested interest in protecting him. Um, You know, maybe not so much now because, you know, he's he's still very high powered in Hollywood. But I mean, I don't know the last Bill Murray movie I've seen recently, you know, so maybe they're more likely to be a little more like, okay, you know what, dude, we're putting you in timeout as we've discussed, like clearly not canceled, but Maybe we you need to take a little time out because this behavior that was we let go for years and dec- decades, right? Yeah. We, we're just we don't accept it anymore, and we're, we're not going to be able to change you because you're what seventy one years old. We know we can't change you, so we and so we just can't have you on set. Yeah, he definitely gives me like like drunk old theater director <laughs> vibes where he's just like A.K. Hansy, A.K. Like he's got all of the like all of the weird things also like it's sort of in my mind kind of like erratic behavior like the whole voicemail thing really you can't talk to him unless you leave him a voicemail on like a voice machine it just wait what's what's that i didn't hear hear about that (laughs) yeah it's just this thing where it's like you can't actually call bill murray bill murray doesn't have a phone he has a voice machine that it doesn't matter if you're you know, President Barack Obama talking to you about a new opportunity to save the world or me, you call this voicemail and he has people field those calls, those voicemails. And that is the way that he gets all of his information. So like if you're Steven Spielberg and you want to get Bill Murray on the phone, you call that voicemail and leave a voicemail. That is that is fucking that is fucking insane. First of all, yeah. To I don't know if it's public, to... but it's yeah. like if you if you manage to get your your hands on this number, that's what you have to do. I need to know, like, if it's an actual answering machine. Like, <laughs> right. does somebody have to go to eBay and find actual answering machine, those little tapes? And if that breaks down, <laughs> do they have to find a person who knows how to fix? Like, it, <laughs> I need to know. Because it doesn't feel like it's digital. doesn't feel like this guy's going <laughs> digital. <laughs> it's just the same one he's had in his weird house for the past 40 years. I swear the way we just, like, let... Like these actors just be insane and they think it's yes. fine. Because they think it's just like, you know, it's just like it's them, it's how they are. They give us like these like great movies and, and, and whatnot, but you know, we just have to put up there with their behaviors and stuff. And I'm just yeah. like No, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Uh yeah. there's so many other people who are also talented who can do the work. I don't I mean obviously not as famous, but you know, you make them famous. I don't know. Do something about it. Well, I mean, what do we think? Do you think it's fair that they canceled the movie or like at least put it on hold? I mean, that's the thing, because now we're still giving him all this power, right? All of these jobs are now out of work right now because of this one guy. No, yeah. like, again, if he's the problem, investigate him, 
put him on the back burner. I'm sure there's many other scenes. Well, again, I don't know how many scenes he was in, but continue on with the movie in another way. And I'm sure he can be replaced if that's what the investigation comes to. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm sure you can get like some other like old white dude to just like fill the part. <laughs> They're plentiful. They are plentiful, let me tell you. Exactly. And I feel like by put, now... Put Richard Dreyfus in there. Exactly. 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 And, you know, we have one proven way to get Bill Murray to change his behavior. And I, you know, I think we should just go for that. Is just make him live the same day over and over and over right. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until he mm-hmm. learns to so be different. True. Yeah. So true. It's, it's, Maybe he, yeah. yeah. He needs Groundhog Day all over again to happen exactly. to him for real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, speaking of the Groundhog, he also complained about Bill Murray just beating the shit out of him. That's uh, like, will not leave anyone alone. Oh, Groundhogs are well, they? They're big accusers. They love to come out against <laughs> against people. <laughs> He's like, "What do you mean you can't see your shadow?" <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> well, I'm sure either way, Lucy Liu is somewhere very happy about this because you know apparently with the whole Charlie's Ang- Angels oh, thing, yeah, you um, know, like I think it was like he had he was away from the set for a day and they did some rewrites and when he came back to the set. For some reason, he was blaming Lucy for all these changes, it seemed like. And he was, like, mad at her about it. And she was kind of like, I was the last person hired on this film. I have the least creative input. But, like, for some reason, he was blaming her. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he said, like, some, like, inappropriate stuff to her, like, on the set and stuff. When asked about Drew Barrymore said, you know, you know, comedians, he just, like, said some, like, dark jokes. And I'm just like... Yeah, when someone says, <laughs> yeah. you know, comedians, they say dark jokes. I'm like, okay, 100% has to do with racism. It, totally, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and, and it's like, at the end of the day, like, you are still at your workplace. Like, you know that you have a job. Like, you would not, if yeah. you worked at, like, you know, a corporate office, you would not do that there. So why do you think that just because you're on a movie set, it changes? Uh, in corporate America, you get fired because you took an extra like tea bag from the freaking like <laughs> the tea the tea bag box wherever tea bags go. You guys like they literally will drop you. If you for say nothing. tea bag one more time, <laughs> I can't. all I'm saying is okay. I want to also clarify: I have not been fired for stealing tea bags from a job, um, but yet, yet exactly. Uh, but it's true. You are in a professional environment. And I always wonder what it is about, like, the movies in Hollywood that makes people feel like they can just kind of, like, I don't know, be the worst version of themselves. I'm like, we're all out here putting on our suits and trying to be decent for each other. Why can't you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know you know what? Hire me instead. I'll play an old white dude. <laughs> yeah. Just give me some makeup and stuff and I'll I'll do it. I mean, if they can put thin people in fat suits, they can make somebody older. They can make you look exactly. Yeah, one (laughs) hundred percent. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your thirteen-year-old self out of nowhere, and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. 
New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Were you Johnny Depp fans growing up? Oh, desperate. Johnny I mean, I love Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I have been, you know, a Johnny Depp fan. I mean, Edward Scissorhands, you know, like, yeah, long time. I mean, Cry Baby, the John Waters God, film. Cry Baby. Mm-hmm. So good, you know. Um, so I, you know, court cases, I like court cases, but like, they're not like my thing that I normally will watch entire days worth of trials. But right. like, there was no way I couldn't watch. This is like one of those pop culture moments that I want to remember every single detail of when I'm like old <laughs> to like retell um, because it's really insane. Now, I, you know, if you aren't following my very detailed stories that I spent a lot of time putting together, little background Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were married. Um, They had a very tumultuous relationship. They end up, there's restraining orders. They end up getting divorced. And then at some point, the the UK tabloid, The Sun, you know, publishes an article about how Johnny's a wife beater. Yeah. Yeah. He He sues The Sun for defamation. And they have this long trial in London. And all of this evidence about, like, abuse comes up. And essentially, the court finds, you know, there was strong enough evidence to show that he was abusive, so he loses the case. Then Amber goes on in in December of 2018 to publish an op-ed piece in the Washington Post. And in it, there's one line that says, you know, two years ago, which would have been 2016 when the restraining order happened, two years ago, I became the face of domestic violence. Um, And so now Johnny has sued Amber for $50 million for defamation because he's like, that's clear that you were speaking about me. Amber has countersued for $100 million saying, you know, there was a campaign to ruin her life. And now we have this six-week trial in Fairfax County, Virginia, which people don't understand why the trial is happening in Fairfax County, Virginia. It's because the Washington Post servers live in Fairfax County, Virginia. And so that's why the case was brought there. I mean, that's the technical reason. I think there's yeah. other reasons why he brought the case there as well. Is it is it like Virginia laws that are like, yeah. that he's trying to sort of like galvanize or like use? I think there might be an element of the law, but I personally also just think there is this this Southern connection he wants to build with the jury. Because a lot of the language I've noticed he's used it's very smart. Like, you know, when he talks about like, you know, getting whipped by the belt, you know, that to me as someone who was born in the South, that's a very Southern thing, relate relatable. When he talks about, you know, he talks a lot about his abuse with his mother and how she had um, like, I guess, an addiction to these quote unquote nerve pills, right? And nerve pills, again, that's a very Southern thing, like, oh, g- grab me my nerve pills, you know? And I think there's a 
um, he's trying to find that connection with the jury because this is the first time he is getting to tell his side of the story. And, and that's what he's doing. I mean, he's on, he's been on the stand at the time of this recording. He's been on the stand four days um, telling his side and grilling and, and, you know, and, and the same is going to happen to Amber. Honestly, this trial is giving me major like lesbian vibes. I, I know Amber Heard is already queer. Johnny Depp has long hair and wears a lot of rings. There's a lot of, like, drama. The breakups are insane. Like, this truly... I'm not even joking. When I first started hearing about how messy this was getting, I was like, oh, I have four friends that have gone through worse. Like, (laughs) they just... They, like, you know, their divorces lasted five years, and they just had, like, one house to separate. So I can't even imagine... um, yeah, this just seems like extremely intense and it just feels so messy. Like it feels like, you know, like once you um, once you can't really separate things clearly anymore and there's so much like like if you spill a soup, you just can't put it back together in the bowl completely. And that's what this whole situation feels like. It just feels like now there's too many angles. There's too much time has passed. Too many things have happened. I can't even imagine how even with a result, they're going to come up with a way to truly describe what actually happened between these two people. Like, there's no trial. There's nothing you can do to to say what happened, kind of. Does that make sense? No, yeah. And I mean, the the, the level of detail, the level of text messages that we're mm-hmm. hearing, you know, we're hearing the level of audio recordings that, you Ugh. know, you know, they made secretly and or, you know, public, you know, it's it's so invasive. It is all out there. It's it's also like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I haven't really been watching that much, but like, were they just like hitting record all the time or what was going on here? It just feels like so many audio messages. Well, and that's part of the, the the reason that, you know, there's there's people who are very much justice for Johnny. And the people in that crowd are very much like, why are there so much recordings? It's not normal. She was setting him up. Now, mm. Johnny has admitted on the stand that he introduced the, the first recording because he says, as someone who was getting abused by Amber, mm-hmm. allegedly, I had to break out the recording the first. So I did this so that when she would say these things and do these things to me that the next day she would say that never happened. I had proof, but she was aware that I was recording. So he introduced that. What he's saying is there were these secret recordings that were happening and you could, you know, certain ones you could see that he didn't know were there. And then, you know, he might freak out in the, in the audio of it. Um, But there's a lot of that. Now I can, again, I can see both sides of this because one, I can say like, yeah, that seems very like, wh- why are you setting this person up to secretly record them? But I've also can say as someone who's been in a crazy toxic relationship and I've recorded them because I wanted the next day when they were sober to see like, this is how you acted. And so I've also been on that side of it, you know? So I, I have to just kind of like get through all of his testimony and I have to get through all of hers because it's it's so messy. But part of me was like, as terrible this is, it's like just like reading someone's journal. There has to be a relief, at least for Johnny. A, he's getting his side of the story out. And B, once you've let all of this out there, there's nothing enough left to cancel you, right? 
every terrible thing you've possibly ever done is out there for the world and you're exposed as fuck but yeah hey we never have to talk about this again and i can move on with my life yeah the fact that they feel the need to go so public with it is really um it's crazy and on that side is there are johnny heads and then there's also this sort of perception of like we don't always believe women we don't like listen to women when they're saying that they're being abused and so there's this like weightiness of like i I personally feel sort of torn in that sense of like i want to root for people who are in a disadvantaged position and i want to make sure that i'm like paying attention to the details and not just silencing the voice of somebody who possibly has gone through this. So I definitely uh, feel at a crossroads, you know? It's a, it's also, this is unrelated, but related to it, is that for the longest time, I thought Johnny Depp was British. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the then, accent. Yeah, and I was like, oh, he's just from Kentucky. Okay. I literally every time he spoke, I was just like, I thought you were British. Like I literally, I am reminded by like this every time he speaks. I'm just like, <laughs> there is truly nothing you could do. Like you could come to my house and tell me you're not British, and I'm just like, okay, ye, if you say so, buddy. I want to add something to your burn book, which is people who don't have your expected accent. <laughs> you are like, if I think you're British and you come out with an American accent, unacceptable. I I would say it's 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 worse the opposite way. <laughs> when I learn that someone is like like British or like from like any other country, they're just like, like Australia or something. I'm just like I feel like I'm like losing it a bit. They've wounded you. They personally yeah. did that to victimize you. It's it's because it's just like I mean you just have to tell me like I have nothing against you know like <laughs> you speaking in a British accent, but you can't come at me with. Because, like, British people do a really good American accent. American people do not do a good British accent. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. It's, all, it's always like, oi, oi, governor, and stuff like that, you know? I, I will say Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown was not good. It was not good. It was I'm, li- I'm living for that accent. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The other thing I was going to say is about, like, Johnny Depp uh, is... You know, I've been like following the discourse online on Twitter, the most uh, sane website to ever exist. Only good opinions <laughs> there, obviously. Obviously, but there are there are these people like you know who are like like uh, obsessed with Johnny Depp and also have like these like very childish uh, resolutions for this for this trial, where they literally just like think about Johnny Depp as his characters. <laughs> and they're just like, this is how I want this trial to end. I want her, I want him to win, and then look her in the eye and say, "You thought you could catch Captain Jack Sparrow." <laughs> and I was like, if he oh. says that, I will do something bad to myself. Like, what are you talking about? What kind of world that you you live in? That this is the imagination you have, the imagination of a child. Like these are like the the lives of two people here, and they're like. No, this is what I want. Because to me, these are not people. Right. It's like, uh, it, it reminds me of like women who fall in love with serial killers or like women who fall in love with like actually Captain Jack Sparrow from the movies. It's it's a delusion. And I love that world. I, I would I want to live there with these women. Um, they're happy no matter what. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if you I have a friend who writes 
an insane amount of fan fiction. And I'm very proud of her. And this is good fan fiction. But she spends so much time fantasizing about Harry Potter and Ron Weasley having sex with each other that she doesn't have sex herself and goes out into the world because she's so obsessed. Okay, see, I see your befuddled and confused faces. It's... (laughs) I've managed to absolutely confuse you guys completely. So it you, you guys know fan fiction, right? Yeah, of I mean course, I know yeah. about it. Yeah. Right. There all there's all this fan fiction with Johnny Depp characters, with so Pirates of the Caribbean fan fiction, Harry Potter and Ron Weasley fan fiction, but hers uh, her specifically, she writes Harry Potter and Ron Weasley oh. are in love and in different adventures. Okay. But she it's a fantasy world that she gets to live in. Yeah. Um, and I'm just comparing her to your to your woman who wants him to say that at the end. I realize now that that's been that that was a stretch. I just feel like, you know, it's like, you know, that section, I think it's like an Us Weekly, whatever, some magazine where it's like stars. They're just like us. Like, <laughs> yeah, I almost want that section to be like video of Will Smith smacking Chris Rock and Johnny Depp on the stand because it's like, yeah, the stars, they're just like us. Don't like idolize them because they also fuck up <laughs> yeah. and end up in court end up you know assaulting people like they're not like they don't give a fuck about all, any of us right like you know they're they, they're living their own lives and they're doing their own thing and so it's like just don't put them on this pedestal necessarily yeah. like they just you just fuck up Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. I do want to talk about, and how do you pronounce it? Abercrombie. Thank you. Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, You guys watched the documentary. It's so good and so stupid. I think this is part of why I'm like nostalgic about early aughts right now. Because it was like between that and the the Von Dutch, you know, a series, just all about it. 
Um, do you guys remember, like, did you wear a, oh, God damn it, I'm never going to say Abercrombie, Abercrombie and Fitch uh, clothing? Like, what was your vibe growing up? Absolutely not. That I never have owned a piece of Abercrombie. I've never owned a piece of American Eagle, Hollister, like those brands. And I grew up in a predominantly white area. So like, I liked all of those things. For some reason, that was so uber white it scared me like i w- i like yeah. went into the store once and i was terrified yeah it's aggressively white yeah <laughs> I've, I've never wore any of their clothing honestly but yeah i mean i knew about them so they succeeded in their in their marketing clearly because neither yeah. one of us yeah they wanted to exclude us and we felt excluded okay and so then... you didn't have any either oha so yeah no i i mean I I will say, so I was in Venezuela when it really started popping off because I was in Venezuela until 2006, really. And so I remember a girl came back from the United States from like just a vacation or whatever. And she said, I found the best brand in the world. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And this was an announcement to our college class. And so everybody is like, oh, this bitch just went to America to go shopping. Okay, we got to listen to what she's got to say. And so she, she pops out of her bag this Abercrombie and Fitch shirt. And I was like, okay, that's like, it's, it's a long sleeved polo. (laughs) <laughs> with just the letters on it. I was like, this isn't nice. This isn't fancy. And she just died by this brand. She was so into it. Um, but that was really my only exposure. And then when I moved to the United States, I was like, what are these like clubs in the middle of the mall? Like, what is this nightclub doing right next to like, you know, my ear pierce and Claire's where I'm going to get some butterfly clips up in here. What is happening? First of all, I don't like strong scents. They hurt my my nostrils. And so I walked in and was immediately repelled by the sense that I'd been dunked in fragrance liquid. I mean, just the experience of it was enough to send me running. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't have much like uh I didn't have much of a Abercrombie kind of like obsession. But I do remember people around me wearing it often. But was that more in high school? Like when did it hit for you guys? Again, like I, I feel like yeah, that like that feels about like the right around mm-hmm. that time. Like yeah, is like I have no idea what this is. <laughs> I have it's no just, idea. <laughs> no, yeah. I just yeah. I mean, it was like I mean to me, the beginning stage because the documentary really like you know how it opens up. It's like it's trying to be this like cool brand with the cool kids. Where I sort of step into Abercrombie is when it's that Spider Man. When he, the guy who talks to the creative director, the photographer talks about he knew right. it was downhill because in Spider Man, Peter Parker's bully was head to toe and Abercrombie, and that's to me what it represented were these frat bros, these yeah. lacrosse playing, you know, uh, date rapists, like you know, like that's what I yeah. see, yeah. you yeah. know, and clearly that's what was happening underneath was so much more sinister. The fact that they were hiring people completely and only based on looks. And it didn't even matter how good your sales were. If you weren't hot, you weren't at the front, you were relegated to the back, you know, stocking stuff. And they would, they would keep people on payroll just for when the CEO, Mike Jeffries would do his pop-ins to make sure that the hottest people were there on those days. Like they wouldn't even be on the the shift, like the rest of the schedule. 
I was reading that up until something like 2007 or 2008, they didn't offer any larger pants than a size 10. Like the biggest, largest size that they had in the entire store was a size 10. And they didn't carry it in all stores. So you're talking sixes and eights. But here's what's crazy. My friend, because I thought this was counterintuitive, but then maybe it actually is what worked. So my friend at the time, she was a size... 10, 12. She went, yeah, she was like, maybe like, yeah, size 10. She went to the store and in Abercrombie, she was an eight. They make girls who are a size four think they're a size zero, which seems counterintuitive because you would think, Uh. well, that's, they're actually, wouldn't you, they're giving them more room. But what that, all that does is the girls who then think they're a size zero or who aren't I need to be a size zero. So when they go to other stores that are, so I thought that was weird. Cause I was like, I didn't know yeah. that part of it. And I don't think they talked about that in the documentary, but I've also had people, other people who said that that was the case. So even though they went up to a size 10, they probably were close to a 12, 14, but you thought you were a 10. God, the manipulation. The manipulation. What? 10, 12? Mm-hmm. And then you're wondering, you're like, why is the sizing all whack? It's because <laughs> companies and brands are using it to make you feel better or worse and sell shit to you. But like, you know, the fact that they had a whole, you know, employee handbook on like working there, you know, you cannot, women or men can't have dreadlocks. Men cannot right. wear gold chains. It's like, okay, well, we know where this is going, right? Um, and so many things, you know, you had to wear clear nail polish um, or, you know, earrings couldn't, you know, girls could only wear a simple silver necklace. So many rules about just being classic, American, natural, aka very white. Yeah. Everything about this feels like the guidelines of you of like joining like a like a white power group. Honestly, well, uh, the, the, that's what I thought was funny. The the picture that they used of Mike Jeffries, I don't think it was any accident that he had his hand raised because they kept using that stock photo of him, and I was like, he looked like Hitler with his hand raised. I was like, I don't think that's an accident. They're using this photo. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely gives it's giving gay Hitler youth vibes a hundred percent. I'd say, I mean, 10 out of 10, I mean, like, those companies in in the department of finding creative ways to do racism, truly very creative. <laughs> like, literally, the stuff that they come up with, I mean, like, to this day, obviously, like, companies do it, even if we don't know, a lot of it, we'll, like, we'll know about in the future. It's truly insane. Just, like, coming up with just, like, no, we're not saying this race cannot be work at our company, but we're just saying we're going to make it extremely impossible to do so i think too it's like partially the feeling of it is so connected to that like americana and for a very long time that's been what america or what like that sort of like all-american quarterback or that all-american person looks like and they made that point very clearly in the documentary of like there's a very narrow version of what that means. And just now we're deciding like, oh, Americans can look like a lot of different things. And for me, one of the most interesting things too is like that the company, the background of it comes from that like hunting and sort of like, um, I can't remember what it was, but I know initially before it was kind of like this sort of a crazy teen thing. It was like an outdoor retailer that sold like fishing and hunting gear. So again, these activities that feel very like 
kind of like white people activities. I mean, there's so much to say also about like how how like you know a lot of like white people consumption of of culture or like making it like like whether like it's clothing or anything else, it's all about like exclusivity and like making like making it like not accessible for mm. other people. That's like the way culture is consumed. And I think someone like talked about it, like I saw it maybe like yesterday or something, like even even talking about like sneaker culture and, and whatnot, mm. you know, like uh, it's now almost impossible to for you to buy a sneaker the, the day it drops because they're just like sold out immediately. And then they are resold in like way higher prices. So a sneaker that would cost like $100, like an Air Force or something, you buy it up to $500, $1,000 or so. And you see like these like white dudes are just like, you know, posting a picture of themselves like next to like boxes and boxes and boxes of these sneakers that they bought that they're selling to people. And, you know, someone was just like, it's insane that this is like their like idea of like how to make something important or whatever like is to make sure other people do not get their hands on it because you know like when you make it this expensive then you are like you're making sure only the only people who can get their hands on it are like a specific group of people yeah and i think you know the company we're talking about now in the documentary is an example of that but it is not the only example that's a really interesting point Mohanad, about like the sort of like the like demand and access to things because it is sort of like taps into that human feeling of like, well, if there's not enough, you know, if there's not enough for me, then I need to access, you know, things that I, you know, ultimately will always be able to get. And for a company like that to then use that and to use this thing that's sort of inside of us already, that is very much like the marketing kind of ploy of it. And then the, the the dark side of that or the underbelly of that is that these two white guys were able to dictate whether or not you felt good enough for such a long and formative like chunk of your life. And that meant class, that meant race, that meant mm-hmm. size, that meant like, you know, ability to access things. And I think that's a good thing to remember when we're obsessed with something is that what part of our insecurities or what part of our, like our bullshit human stuff are they using against us? And I, I definitely feel like Abercrombie is, they used it against us very well. But I'm glad we noticed though. Absolutely. I mean, and we do that with so many stuff, you know, like, like something like this is like something I have to ask myself like every time like I want something I want to buy it like I'm obsessed with it I'm just like do I even like this thing or even think it looks good (laughs) or do I want it because it's it's expensive and I feel like not many people have access to it and now I need it because like we all have the thing where we're like we buy the thing and then once you get it you're like you have to kind of convince yourself that you actually like it because like you're so underwhelmed by it like oh is this it or that's the whole thing because ultimately yeah it's not a hug from your from your lover. It's not a vacation with your friends. Yeah. It's not it's not, you know, all these lovely other things that we have in life that actually make us feel good. But I will say, okay, maybe it makes me feel really good when I get a strappy green sandal that I need to perfect an outfit. Okay, I see it. There's there's some there's some positive things in there. Exactly. But, you know, speaking of access, uh one thing you can access and is extremely good is this podcast. yeah that's right remember to rate and review baby
Okay, and now it's uh, time for my favorite segment that we do every week, Sorry Not Sorry, where we either uh, apologize to someone or we demand an apology. And like every week, I'm going to start with Kiki. You know, this week, I think I owe an apology to everyone in my life. And this is going to have to be like in a blanket apology for the next month. For every single person, I'm going to ignore. There's no text messages are not going to get responded to. Um, I'm probably not going to shower very often. Um, I'm not going to leave my house very often because I am riveted by the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. It takes up four days out of a seven day week. Actually, more like five because then it's like a recap day. So five days a week, I am spending seven hours a day just um, all about Johnny and Amber. So I'm sorry to anyone who is trying to get in touch with me or talk with me or hang out with me uh, for the next month, because I'm sorry, it's it's not happening. It is true, because we uh, every time we text Kiki, she she's like, please stop talking to me right now. Right. And so And it's so weird. It's kind of rude, but we, I mean, we love yeah. her. We don't care. She did say, I need to relinquish our friendship. I just need to put it on pause for a moment, but I will be back. Um, who knows if we'll be there on the other side of this? Exactly. You know? I mean, we, we're happy to have this podcast so we can mm-hmm. finally get to talk to her, but, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> this po- we, don't do the, we only do the podcast to hang out with each other. That sounds nice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> busy, busy bees. So, Oha, what's, what's going on with you? Are you following any trials? Should we not no, interrupt you? No trials. No trials now. But I would like to apologize to the country of Venezuela, um yeah in in general i think i do think that i owe them an apology um and i would include the people patrimony the land the you know the concept of it as well because i can't relate to it anymore i'm so sorry i hate this about myself right now but it's like it's messed up back there but i've lived in america too long at this point and so i can't fully relate to all the horrible things that are happening at any given moment and so when i talk to friends from back home that still live there I sound insane to them. Like, we don't care about the same things anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about my podcast. And then my friend Andrea was like, well, we didn't have tampons or condoms for the last two months. And I'm like, well, <sighs> I don't really know how to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm living this life of leisure and my friend Andrea can't find, you know, contraceptives. Tampons, yeah. Champagne problems are the best problems to have, though. Let's yeah. be real. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I do. I think I just need to generally apologize for being unrelatable at this point in my life. <laughs> if it helps, we do we do find you saying, oh, so I, I find you very relatable. Yeah. So This is why Paris Hilton can't have friends who don't also have money like she does because they can't, like, join her in Paris last minute when she really wants to go. Um, this is true. It's not my exact problem, but on a smaller level. yeah. Well, this week I'm not gonna apologize to anyone. I'm I'm gonna demand another apology. Wow, from, big surprise! It's and believe it or not, it's still again from from Rosie. What? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, because I remember last week uh, on last week's episode, I said that she uh, traveled to Michigan and she left me with with the cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week she is in Portland for a whole week, <gasps> and. Uh, this tells me two things. She either uh, did not listen to the podcast episode mm-hmm. where I said that she uh, should not leave me with the cats for so long or she listened to it and did not just, just you know, ignored it. 
Either and way, yeah, it's bad. Like you didn't listen, yeah. or you did listen. And either what? way, <laughs> it's just like, what is what's happening here? She keeps asking me like, what's bothering you? And I'm just like, I'm not gonna tell you. You just have to listen to the podcast to hear it. So this is this is me asking like, what's gonna happen the weekend after? Like, are you just gonna like leave for like somewhere else? It's you know, I'm. This is the only way we communicate now, so hopefully she yeah. listens to this. And it's, it's going to be some time before she gets to this, but yeah. But you and your cats are your best buddies now. Don't you love that? I mean, that they're so needy and they're going to be your best friend, not her best friend anymore? Okay, Kiki, you are right. And maybe I am having actually having a great time with them, but I'm using this moment to uh, pretend that that is not true. Okay. Yeah, like a guilt trip. Ooh, I love guilt trips. They're a device that is underrepresented and underappreciated. Yeah. Did I spend hours of my day yesterday just trying to position them in front of the uh, podcast mics so they can pretend to be recording a podcast just so I can take a picture? Maybe. Oh. Maybe. Please put little hoodies on them. That's all I ask of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm Sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Elise Myers. I'm a content creator and comedian. You might know me from TikTok. Why am I in your ears right now? Well, that's a great question. I would love to tell you. I have a new podcast called Funny Because It's True. On my show, I'll be interviewing comedians, pop culture icons, and also just people I find really funny. We'll be talking about the awkward moments that keep you awake at night. Because if you don't laugh, you cry, right? (laughs) Okay, Funny Because It's True. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. I'm Lauren Lapkus. I'm Scott Ackerman, and together we make up the show Freedom! Freedom is a show where the three of us, who are comedians and also friends, we all just hang out, we tell stories about each other, and about ourselves, <laughs> usually. We're constantly telling stories about each other. You got it, Rapalda. <laughs> and we play games, and we laugh a lot. It's just that simple. It's a really easy podcast. This is a pretty good representation of the show. Actually. It's actually exactly what it is, plus singing. <laughs> so, listen to it now. The new season's out. Get it wherever you get your podcast. Just go outside and scream freedom. Just like we do. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom.